what does the law do? It exposes sin and therefore brings death. That's what we're going to look at. When I look into your holiness, when I gaze into your loveliness, when all things that surround me become shadows in light of you, when I find the joy of reaching your heart, when your will becomes enthroned in my life, when all things that surround me are shadows in light of you. I worship you. I worship you. The reason I live is to worship you. Oh, I worship you. I worship you, you, Lord, you. The reason I live is to worship you. I will look into your holiness. I will gaze into your loveliness. Then all things that surround me become shadows in light of you. I will find the joy of reaching your heart, and my will will become enthroned in your life. When all things that surround me become shadows in light of you. Oh, I worship you. I worship you, you, Lord, you. The reason I live is to worship you, you. Oh, I worship you. I worship you, my Lord, you. The reason I live is to worship you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. We look to you today, Father. We look to you in all our shortcomings and all our flounderings and all our weaknesses. We worship you, Lord. We bow down before you. We honor you. We love you. Oh, we long to be like you. Take these simple words that I'm going to share today with the Kingdom Corner audience and just indelibly put them in our hearts, put them in our minds, that it might better enable us to walk with you and to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Good day, good day, Kingdom Corner podcast devotees and listeners. Today, I'm going to take a bit of a detour 
We will be coming back to Mere Christianity, part two. But a friend had asked me, because I had an opportunity to teach a Bible class on Romans 7, had asked me to share some notes with them uh, from Romans 7, from what I had garnered from the book, what I had gleaned from the book, because I didn't get a chance to teach the class. So I'm going to teach it here. I just uh, have this ready to go. And I think it's, it's, I didn't used to think it was a good chapter, but it really is. There's really some things for us to really assimilate here in our hearts, give us an understanding of what God would desire, how God would help us. Okay, you're probably all familiar with Paul's words, those things I want to do, I can't do. But you know exactly what I'm talking about. You want to do good things and you can't. You don't want to do bad things and you do them sometimes. But I'm going to show you some keys here that we don't need to walk in that place. Sometimes we do because we're still in the flesh, because we fall, we fail. But that's not what God has really intended. And the way I break down Romans 7, let's get right into it. We're going to talk about freedom to win or lose your choice. Freedom to win or lose your choice. That's my title for Romans 7. You can make a choice today to win and to overcome or to fall back and fail. That's your choice to lose. It has to do with your heart posture, a lot of it. But let's get into the three divisions that I break this chapter up into. Verses 1 to 6 is the metaphor of marriage, which is compared to the Old and New Covenant. Verses 7 to 13 is the law. What does the law do? It exposes sin and kills us. That is, how does the law work? It exposes sin and basically brings death to us. And then verses 14 to 24 how the law is experienced or how it feels to be under the law brought forth by Paul's example. What is it to experience being under the law? Okay, we're going to talk about that. And let's get really started right away. Verse 1, and I'm going to be reading from Rotherham, an expanded uh, Greek translation, may be one of the best translations you can read if you want uh, the the original language of Hebrew or Greek. And I'm also going to be bringing in um, the RSV a bit for some of the passages. But I want to read, and we'll just read this by sections. We'll read the first section, verse 1 to 6, the metaphor of marriage, compared to the Old and New Covenant. Oh, this is verse 1. Oh, are you ignorant, brethren? For unto them that understand the law am I speaking, that the law hath lordship over men as long as he liveth. For the married woman unto her living husband is bound by law. But if her husband have died or has died, she hath received a full release from the law of her husband. Verse 3. Hence then her husband being alive and adulteress shall she be called. That is if she marries while he's alive. Okay. All right. Well, while she's still married to him, that's what he's saying there. If she becomes another man's, but if she, the husband have died, she's free from the law so that she is not an adulteress, though she become another man's. Verse four. So then, my brethren, ye also were made dead under the law through the body of Christ to the end. You might become another's his from whom among the dead was raised in order that we might bring forth fruit unto God. Verse five. For when we were in the flesh, the susceptibilities of sins 
which were th through the law used to be energized in our members unto the bringing forth of the fruit unto death. But now we have received full release from the law by dying in that wherein we used to be held fast so that we should be doing service in newness of spirit and not obsoleteness of letter. Verses 1 to 6, chapter 7 of Romans. Let's go back into that. I titled that topic there, that division, the metaphor of marriage compared to the Old New Covenant. Now, Paul is talking about a marriage, about a woman that's married, then her husband dies, then she remarries. And he's talking about while, she, while her first husband's alive, she can't marry another husband. That's just law. But when he passes away, if she's still living, she's free to marry another man. Okay, that's what he's referring to. And it's, 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 somebody brought this to my attention once, a, a friend of mine asking about this because they were going to teach on it, a lady friend of mine, and she'd been divorced. And she was feeling kind of, you know, whether she should or shouldn't because she'd been divorced. And I said to her, I said, I never really said to her uh, at the time, but I thought later because I, I hadn't read it in a while. I went and read it and I said, this isn't about marriage per se at all. He's not teaching on marriage. He's bringing the common sense of it. You know, while the husband's still living, you can't marry somebody else. If your first husband dies, then you're free to marry. That, that, he's using that as an example compared to the Old and New Covenant. The woman was married to the first husband. The first husband here represents the law. She couldn't marry a new husband because she was still under the law, as it were. But when the old husband died... She was free to marry again, and the old husband was the law. Jesus Christ, the first Adam, put the law to death by his death and resurrection on the cross. The old man, Adam, died, and the new man, Adam, rose again, Jesus Christ, and therefore she could now marry into, as it were, into the new covenant. That's what we're talking about. That's the explanation of verses 1 to 6. That's just um, a synopsis of that. It's not talking, it's just using metaphor of marriage, comparing the old and the new covenant. You know, um, we are now be, uh, betrothed to Jesus, as it were, uh, because he brought in the new covenant. Isn't that wonderful? So let's go on. Um, yet experience tells us that even though we're married to this new bridegroom, Jesus, sometimes we just aren't aware of that. And so we struggle, right? Christians are struggling with this everywhere. We want laws. We want regulations. We want something to keep us in line. Do we not? And that's where we get in uh, to one of the questions I want to talk about here. Let's go back. For unto them that understand the law am I speaking... I'm speaking to those that understand the law. So my question to you today is, are you a lawyer or are you a paralegal? Do you work in the courts? Do you know about the laws? Do you aspire to be a lawyer? Uh, he's talking about those who know the law. And of course, the Jews and Paul certainly knew the law, did he not? And so let's look into this a little bit, what he's talking about. Let's give some examples Today, I thought about this when I looked into this for this lesson. I thought about this would really bring it out for us, what it is to really know the law. 
or be under the law, right? You can give yourself right now a biblical bar exam to see if you are an aspiring lawyer in the sense of being under the law. Paul is writing to those believers who still mistakenly believe they are under the law. That's who he's writing to. So we can give ourselves a biblical bar exam. And if you believe you're under the law today, these kind of things might be evident in your life. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, Examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith, prove yourselves, know you not your own selves, that Jesus Christ is in you, otherwise you're reprobates or you're worthless. Okay? That's what Paul said in, in 2 Corinthians 13.5. So let's see if some of these things reside in you today or pull at you today. It will be a good indication if you are an aspiring lawyer, so to speak. We're giving you a Christian or a biblical bar exam. Let's go ahead and look at some of these things. Are you under the law? People that are under the law and are aspiring to keep the law are proud of what they've achieved. They're proud of their own record. They're proud of how they're doing everything just right, how they're reading the Bible every day, how they're praying every day, how they're going to church. I mean, they hold that up as a badge of accomplishment whether that's outwardly to others or whether that's just something that they tell themselves. Okay, that's one way. Sometimes they boast about those things, that they're doing so well. Another mark of being under the law, these people are critical of others. They compare themselves to others, you know, and when they're comparing themselves to others, when they're critical of others, the devil uses that to keep them from looking at, at their own faults and their own failings, right? A number th three, uh, a mark of being under the law. These people have a hard time admitting when they're wrong or admitting they're in error. They would probably not receive correction. You've seen people like that. They feel very heavily the standard of conduct they're expected to have, so they pretend they're living up to it, even if they aren't. They hate to admit defeat or that they fall short. All right? Here's another symptom of those that are aspiring lawyers. They experience in their private life a lot of inner boredom and depression. They go through times of just really being depressed because they're under condemnation. Condemnation produces depression. See, you can't understand this passage unless you know what the law does. And those are the kind of things that the law will try to bring you under. Give yourself that bar exam before the Lord and see, am I under the law? Am I aspiring Lawyer, you know, am I aspiring to the first covenant law? That's well, a major problem in the church today. The church is trying to walk with God in the flesh, and these are the kind of things that are produced because they know a lot of them know the law. Depression of spirit is brought. Let's go and look at a few more things and then get to the second section. He is speaking to men who understood the law. In other words, if you're going to understand this paragraph, what he's talking about, you, you have to know the effects of the law, which I just went through. We can choose to be under this law and try to walk under the law and try to uphold it, try to walk real carefully. And if we do sin, just like Romans 6 talked a lot about, we bring ourselves under enslavement of sin and under just... Um, just a 
awful lifestyle. You cannot keep the law. I've I've shared the analogy before. You may be able to wrestle that alligator for a while, but sooner or later, it's going to get loose and bite you. Okay. That's what the law does. That's what the law will do. This first part about the woman and the husband is one of the most misunderstood passages in the Bible. And it's it's really become a source of confusion, like the lady who thought it was about really about marriage and how to be married and that. We want to talk about this passage, and I'm just throwing out some other thoughts I have down here. The law, understanding the law, uh, the Jews knew that that meant the Ten Commandments. That was the standard. The law was the standard of conduct. You can read more about that in Romans 2. Uh, and people knew the law. law was, the law was everywhere. That was in their culture. The law is an unspoken agreement that we all understand and feel we have to measure up to. Did you know that the purpose of the law was to condemn failure? The law never encourages you. It never pats you on the back and says, you are doing a good job, or says, that's all right if you fall. The law punishes and discourages us. That's what the law does. It condemns you. And that's what people are wrestling with today. Examine yourself. Yes, examine yourself with the biblical bar exam I gave you. And if you're suffering those things, uh, Jesus wants you to know today there's a way out. There's a way to overcome those things. And I believe we're going to get into that. So let's go to verses 7 to 13, 7 to 13, and then we'll talk about that for a few minutes. What shall we say? Is the law sin? Far be it. On the contrary, I had not discovered, that's a key word, sin, save through the law. For even of coveting, I had not been aware if the law had not kept on saying, thou shalt not covet. Howbeit sin taking occasion through the commandment wrought out in me all manner of coveting. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Verse 9, and I was alive apart from the law at one time. But the commandment coming, sin sprang up to life. That is when he was aware of the law, right? Sin sprang up because he was aware of his shortcomings, right? Verse 10, whereas I died and the commandment which was unto life was found by me to be itself unto death. For sin, taking occasion through the commandment, completely deceived me and through it slew me. So that the law indeed is holy, the commandment holy and righteous and good. Did then that which is good unto me become death? Far be it. But it was sin that it might appear sin through that which was good unto me working out death in order that exceedingly sinful might sin become through the commandment. So let's look at those verses for a few minutes. This, this, this is the division that I said was what does the law do? It exposes sin and therefore brings death. That's what it does. It exposes sin and brings death. That's what we're going to look at. The obvious and perfect expression of the standard of behavior, of course, is the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, honor your father and mother, do not kill, do not steal, those kind of things. That is the standard of conduct, is it not? That, of course, is the law that Paul talks about here. The law was given to Israel, but Paul already made clear in chapter 2 that in a wider sense, the law is present among men everywhere. In other words, they know the difference between good and bad. It's innate inside of a human being. 
Have you ever listened to people talking about their experiences and relationships with other people? Listen for a while, and you will hear a phrase like, I don't think that's fair. See, people know what's right and wrong. We talked about that in the broadcast, Mere Christianity. We talked about that point. The law is really everywhere. It's embedded in every man because they know, they know, I think, um, what did uh, C.S. Lewis called it? The uh, law of nature. It's an unspoken agreement that we all understand and we feel we must measure up to. Did you know that the purpose of the law is really just to condemn, is to condemn failure? The law never pats you on the back for doing right or encourages you. But if you do wrong, it will condemn you. In one way or another, it points out and punishes wrongdoing. It does this in our land, even with traffic laws. You know, uh, if you go rob somebody's house, they supposedly they used to put you in jail, things like that. Did you know that? Now, do you know that the effect of the law discourages people? If the law condemns and no one feels likes to feel put down and condemned, then the effect of the law invariably is to discourage. It produces defeat. It produces despair. That is what the law does. That is how it works. That is why in our land and all nations of the earth, law produces a sense of despair. That's a major problem that people wrestle with today in the world and in the church as well. The law condemns. And the law is a standard of conduct based on, of course, in the beginning of the Ten Commandments, that really lays out what the law is, you know. And Jesus said about those things, you all know that well. Uh, you know, I haven't killed, I haven't stolen, I haven't done these things. But Jesus says, I'll take it one step further. If you've even thought those things, you're guilty of them. So you've broken the law, right? You're discouraged, you're in despair, you know. That, that's what the law does. That's the second part of this. The third point is the law experienced through Paul's example. He points out what the law exposes, and, and it, it has a standard, of course, that it sits, sets up that we can never obey, that we can never live up to, and therefore it discourages us. It causes us despair. It condemns us. That's what the law does uh, because we can't keep it. Now Paul talks about the law experienced through his very own example. That is how it feels to be under the law. Let's talk about that for a few minutes before I close today. Verse 14, for we know that the law is spiritual. I, however, am a creature of the flesh, sold under sin. For that which I am working out, I do not approve. For not what I wish, the same I practice, but what I hate, the same I do. Now, if that I wish not the same I do, I consent unto the law, that it's right. Verse 17, now, however, no longer am I working it out, but the sin that dwells in me. I know, in fact, that there dwelleth not in me, that is my flesh. Okay, underline that word, you know, highlight it, not my flesh. There's no good thing. For the wishing lieth near me. But the working out of what is right, not. For not the good that I wish, I do. But the evil that I do not wish, the same I practice. Now, if what I wish not, the same I do. No longer am I working it out, but the sin that dwelleth in me. Hence, I find the law to me who wish to be doing right, that unto me the wrong lieth near. I have, in fact, a sympathetic pleasure in the law of God, according to what? the inner man. 
Okay, the spirit man. But behold, a, device, a diverse law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and taking me captive in the law of sin, which existeth in my members. O wretched man am I, who shall rescue me out of this body doomed to death? That's where the chapter should end. And it's like it's slamming the door, and we're kind of in a state of hopelessness and despair. Then we're going to start with chapter 8, which in uh, our teaching today, a young lady just delivered a wonderful teaching on chapter 8, um, which to me is the culmination of Romans. And this is where this verse should go. It shouldn't, it shouldn't, it doesn't really belong in this chapter, but it's nice that it ends up here. It gives us a precursor. Are we left in despair? Are we left in discouragement? Are we left in utter not being able to succeed and being condemned? No. Because verse 25 says, Thanks be unto God through Christ Jesus, or Jesus Christ our Lord. Hence, then I myself with the mind indeed am in servitude unto the law of God, but with the flesh unto a law of sin. So he's saying that through Jesus Christ, he's going to be brought into a higher place, brought into that new covenant that, that marriage we talked about in the beginning represents. We can now be married to that. So let's just close and talk a few minutes about this last, these last verses, 14 to 24, the law experienced or how it feels to be striving under the law, to be scuffling under the law, to try and, and keep it, you know, and this is Paul speaking. Well, you know, and I've heard people teach this all my life. You know, Paul was just like us. He struggled under sin. You know, sometimes he'd do what was right. Sometimes he wouldn't. Did he really struggle like that? Uh, I, I'm, he wasn't perfect. Uh, the things I say now are not set in stone. These are just from my own heart, what I believe about the Apostle Paul. He may have had issues because uh, didn't he have a falling out with John Mark and they didn't walk together in ministry? You know, maybe some of that came into play. Usually when two people part ways, there's, you know, maybe not all the time, but a lot of times there's issues on both sides. I don't know. The scripture doesn't really detail that. He got into a, a Donnybrook, so to speak, with Peter. I mean, he was right in what he brought unto Peter. Peter was trying to bring um, bring the Gentiles under the law again, or he was embarrassed about that whole issue. And Paul had to go up to Jerusalem and rebuke him. Were there some hurt feelings? Was there some flesh that came out there? I don't know. It uh, doesn't really go into that. Uh, maybe not. Uh, he was susceptible to that. But for the most part, I would believe that Paul did not really go through a big struggle with these things. I believe the feelings that Paul is talking about in these last verses, 14 to 24, uh, especially the phrase, the things I try to do, I can't, and, and things I don't want to do, I do. You know, oh, wretched man that I am. I believe he's talking about remembering the feelings of what it was like trying to be a Pharisee's Pharisee, trying to earn that position of the next high priest when he was under the law, trying to keep the law. You know, those are, I think, what, he, what he's talking about, what he was experiencing. In other words, the past tense. I don't think this was a regular part of his life, nor do I think it needs to be a regular part of your life. I believe we have Jesus Christ, he, he is our bridegroom, just like the beginning part of first six or seven verses say, you know, the old husband, the law died, and we now have a new husband, the new covenant that we can come up under and live under.
and overcome sin. We don't need to experience these things, you know. So that leaves us with chapter 7. I think there's a lot of truth here for you. Uh, you should go read it again. Go give yourself the uh, biblical bar exam. And don't condemn yourself. Don't get mad at yourself. Don't be down on yourself. If you find those things inside of you and that you're trying to wrestle with, judging others, being critical of yourself, whatever those are, I gave you the bar exam. But just get in the presence of Jesus and let him just wash over you with his presence. Let him take those things out of your life. You can never wrestle the alligator and take care of them. Sin will only stay under for a while, and then it's going to it's going to rear up like that alligator and bite you. So God bless you, my friends. This is the great Matt Guy from the Kingdom Corner podcast, wishing you a very good week, a very good day, and wishing you the blessings of Christ. Be blessed. Amen. <laughs>